Hi there, and welcome to Product Storyteller. My name is Stuart Noyce, and this is my personal podcast, where I dive into stories of and about product innovation, the crucially important process that satisfies unmet need with unique value. From the origins of the internet to the future of crypto platforms, from Haas MBA classmates to Burning Man makers, I cover the ground where entrepreneurs and business leaders create new value with a wisdom that ensures our shared future. Product Storyteller explores the durable edge of free market capitalism, where people practice restraint and live in community with one another. If you love it, give it a great review and subscribe on iTunes or elsewhere to catch every interview that's coming. For those people who choose to challenge the status quo, even to the point of category disruption, there will always be a question of rules. Do we operate within the framework of old rules or make entirely new ones? And if we make new rules, do we make them with any sense of externally guided restraint? This interview with Dr. Pam Jolly of Torch Enterprises tells the story of people who build generational wealth on their own initiative guided by their relationship with God. It expresses the view that people should follow their inner voice and apply themselves to the work that calls them. They follow Dr. Jolly's narrow road and make better business choices based on faith. This particular interview was recorded in June 2019 with Ananda Barclay, my partner on the Applied Wisdom podcast series. When we do an interview together, it's always because the two of us are exploring the intersection between the spiritual and physical worlds. Why publish it here on the Product Storyteller podcast? The answer is that I believe this to be a durable edge of capitalism. Spiritually-led innovators hold themselves to a higher standard, a moral constraint, defined through a relationship with their creator. They pursue wealth beyond that which is material, even as the monetary gain they create sustains their work in the material world. In fact, as they create value in the world, they create wealth for themselves and others. It's a very distinct approach to life that leads to innovation. I will argue that this should not be feared by the greater community, because those who follow the narrow road listen to a voice that puts them into right relationship with the community around them. Let's go there now. Hi, this is Stuart Noyce, and I'm here with my amazing podcast partner, Ananda Barclay. And we are interviewing today Dr. Pamela Jolly, who is founder and CEO of Torch Enterprises, a strategic investment firm committed to minority business growth and development. Um, Dr. Jolly, welcome to the program. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank, thank you uh, for joining us today. Um, we'd like to kick this off with a few questions that get to the, um, the, the need specifically. We'll start with the need for uh, Torch Enterprises in the world. What, what is the problem that you are trying to address? Yeah, so um, uh, my entire career has been in financial services, and I um, absolutely love financial services. It's the highest regulated industry in the country. And one of the things that really um, struck me and caused me to go on this journey, which is really a conversion of faith and finance, is that there was so much suffering and poverty in the world around, and what I saw at the root of it was a lack of understanding of business finance and strategy. And because I had grown up in a world where I'd grown up, I had grown up as a Christian, was raised as a staunch Catholic, um, and really believed through the lens of my faith that success was possible, and then coupled with my education in business and finance, I looked at the world differently. My worldview was different. And I saw how there was a need to connect the dots 
so that people would feel more empowered and see the wealth within inside themselves so that they could create the communities that they desired. And so Torch Enterprises stands for passing the torch from one generation to the next to build legacy wealth via ownership and equity. So really taking possession of the promise, however you define it, uh, in your personal life and that of your family, friends, and community. Okay, excellent. So you talked a little bit about um, your um, grounding in financial services. Would you consider that to be the, the big advantage that you bring to, um, to Torch Enterprises and what separates you from other efforts to, uh, to address this generational wealth issue? Yeah, my clients in the communities I serve, um, there's a pattern in their comments that they share with me that I'm able to meet them where they are and really distill what they thought were very complex concepts into very simplified steps that they can take for themselves. So that wealth is not something that is off-putting or far off or something to be held as an, as an arm's length. It's something that is embodied within them. Excellent. So what are the solutions that you're providing through Torch Enterprises? So as I said before, my dissertation was the convergence of faith and finance. So I interviewed over 7,000 people across the country about their relationship with money, faith, finance, entrepreneurship, and wealth creation. My dissertation was an existential exegesis of Joshua 1 through 12. And so basically I asked that in 1968, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King self-identified as a Moses. And 40 years later, the then presidential candidate, now two-term president, said that this was a Joshua era and we are in a Joshua generation. What is the social political context of this world that we live in? What is the promised land? How do we fund it? How do we get there together? And what, if anything, do you feel you need to learn to feel more confident of your pursuit? And so the patterns in that, those answers and those responses started to form a meta pattern. So I coupled that with a quantitative study and created what is now a proprietary methodology that I use called the narrow road. And so the narrow road integrates five talents, if you will. It walks through various different business frameworks that are based on parables in the Bible. And so you're able to make the word life and walk out your faith um, through the lens of business finance and strategy. And so I use this for national organizations, communities, uh, small, medium, and sometimes large businesses, and corporate clients who desire to really meet people where they are and help them to go where they want to go. Torch Enterprises is a for-profit enterprise. It's 15 years old, and we have clients and initiatives that are funded by both the clients and corporations that support our work. So this isn't a project. So it's a for-profit enterprise. Um, how would you characterize your business model in this sense? Uh, we have fee-for-services. So we are Got a strategic it. advisory company. And so we offer strategies and advisory services, programs, and initiatives to our clients. So how would you characterize the, you know, the, uh, your accomplishment to objectives, let's say, over the last 12 months? Is it, really, so is it based on clients and things like that? Yeah, so I have four large clients, and I run a legacy wealth initiative that has two cohorts in two different cities that are now expanding in various areas across the country. 
Excellent. And what's uh, your objective over the next 12 months? So the Black Male Equity Initiative is one of the initiatives underneath um, the Legacy Wealth Initiative. And so we worked with a cohort of black men in Detroit through a, pro, a curriculum that I used, that, that I wrote using the narrow road. We actually just had a webinar yesterday and we launched um, the Black Male Anthology um, last week at the Cities United Company where um, mayors and police chiefs and heads of um, nonprofits across the country were there. And so literally we're expanding that work. Um, We're expanding into Louisville for 2019, and we have specific cities who have interest in um, also offering a cohort for the Black Male Equity Initiative. For the Legacy Wealth Initiative, um, we finished and graduated our first cohort, and we are creating a cooperative investment trust. So we're pooling capital together and creating a commercial development property uh, in a community that is actually an opportunity zone where community members will actually be able to own alongside of large-scale investors. Well, that's really excellent. Thank you so much for uh, allowing us to to take you through these uh, just kind of outline questions to help our listeners understand where you're coming from and, and what your intent is in the future and in the very near future especially with these initiatives. Um, I'm going to turn it over now to Ananda Barclay, my partner. And um, Ananda, what what are you thinking right now? Dr. Jolly, (laughs) all of the initiatives and the products that you just described um, really sound quite interesting. And the fact that you've been around for 15 years and have created these networks, and it's clear that things are really beginning to take off in some uh, exciting directions. Being that uh, I'm, in particular, Presbyterian pastor, and, and I'm looking at it not so much from an identity base from this question, but more so uh, Louisville is the headquarters of the, the national denomination of the Presbyterian Church USA. And this uh, collective ownership model that I think is so important, and, and it appears to be a trend that uh, is, is coming up um, in, within real estate, um, kind of reminds me of the, the biblical literature in the in the book of acts the great christian epic in which the the church this new spiritual religious community is trying to find its way and find a different way to use resources for the greater good of the community can you speak a little bit more um to louisville and and if there's any way that uh if that i can be of help to connect you with folks in the church because that really is the headquarters of the denomination i think that would be wonderful but could you speak more to that yeah, definitely. So would you like me to start on the biblical basis from what you were talking about in terms of the book of Acts? Because, you know, the narrow road is based on biblical principles, or would you have me go directly into what the project is in Louisville? I would love the biblical basis and the connection from that framework, which is clearly the methodology that you use to, to implement the work you do out in the world. Yeah, so there's three texts that really um, structure what I do. Deuteronomy 8.18 but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant that he swore to your ancestors as it is today. And then Galatians 4.1, as long as the heir is a child, he is no better off than a slave, even though he owns everything. And so when you look at Deuteronomy, we have a responsibility that was given by God, but it was promised to our ancestors. So the way forward is back through. So when you look at what's going on from a a macroeconomic perspective in our nation, 
we have specific, about 3,000 zip codes that are in underrepresented minority communities across the country that are now deemed opportunity zones. Opportunity right. zones are really the third equity event, or really the fourth equity event, however you want to look at it, that the federal government has issued to increase investment to in some way strengthen systems in communities. And so for 10 years, a decade, uh, uber high net worth individuals who have capital gains within a 180-day window are now capable of investing in these communities through opportunity funds. And if they hold those that, that investment in the capital stack for at least a decade, uh, their capital gains tax is erased. And so we have this huge opportunity where individuals will look for ways to offset their tax burden by looking at the fertile grounds in communities that have not received real investment in pretty much three generations. And so when we think about three generations ago in the African-American community in particular, you know, you're back to the Martin Luther King Civil Rights Movement. So you're looking at, you know, I've been to the mountaintop, I've looked over, I've seen the promised land. And for Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, it was equality. So how do we elevate the standard of business in these communities to the level of equality by really walking out our faith and taking on our responsibility of looking at this through a wealth lens? Now, the primary purpose of business is to build wealth for its owners. And so if we are to take possession of our promise, the opportunity to be able to take possession of projects that are gentrifying our community without displacement is a real opportunity. Now, for Galatians 4.1, as long as the heir is a child, he's no better off than a slave, even though he owns everything. We are 156 years post-emancipation. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of ownership was the governing rule of America. And so we have the opportunity to be able to own. But if we don't grow up in our level of understanding of business and finance and strategy a way in which we handle our personal finances, or as I like to call it, steward our talents, then we're no better off than a slave, even though we own the opportunity and the promise to pursue ownership in our land. So connecting those dots when we look at Russell, particularly in the city of Louisville, the place where Muhammad Ali was raised, over 100 years ago, it was a thriving African-American community. It is now a community that has gone down the spiral that many communities across the country have gone down. And so the ability to be able to uplift that community and elevate the standard of business in that community that is inclusive of the community members is the project called Russell Place of Promise. And it is led by the city of Louisville and Cities United, which is a nonprofit organization led by Anthony Smith. And so I am their strategist creating wealth strategies for the community using the narrow road. And we are constructing this as a model that prayerfully will be replicated across the country because it will demonstrate that you can have gentrification without displacement, equitable investment for community and um, outside of community, but also public-private partnerships that educate community on the vast amount of opportunities that increase workforce development, home ownership, and various other different wealth-building vehicles that can pass on for generations. That's powerful and good and needed, needed, needed work at this time. Um, and so, Dr. Jolly, in the next 
five years, what do you hope for, for this particular framework? Um, and I'm going to call it a ministry. I'll do that. Uh, a ministry of torch enterprises and this, and this goodwill um, in, in the world for folks to, to build wealth in particular, you know, out of marginalized communities that historically have been denied access and, and or tools uh, to learn how to acquire it. Um, what, does, what does this look like in five years? What does success look like for you? So I can tell you what my legacy, what I'm praying my legacy will be. Um, in my research, this existential exegesis of Joshua 1 through 12, one of the things that kept speaking to me was that dissimilar from the, the, the movement from post-Egypt to the wilderness. When we went from the wilderness to the promised land and we walked through the Jordan, it was very organized. It was very structured. There were four standards, but it was the tribe of Levi who went first, those who held the mercy seat. And they were the only tribe of all of the tribes in the wilderness who were leaving for the promised land that did not receive a specific inheritance of the promised land. But they were promised the top 10% of all the other tribes' inheritance. And they were to build 40 cities of refuge. The cities of refuge were for individuals who, for a variety of different reasons, and from an existential perspective, what I look at it, in some way either killed others or killed their ability to be able to take possession of the land. Now, recognize ownership implies equity, which leads to wealth. And so for me, I desire to in some way torch 40 cities, to work with a, a stakeholder group that includes the church, includes nonprofit organizations and for-profit organizations, to build at least 40 cities of refuge where you, if you, have, if you feel that you have killed your ability to be able to build wealth your way, you can go to these cities and find opportunities to get on a narrow road that leads to wealth. And so that's what my prayer is. So in five years, I'm grateful that I now have two cohorts that are working in two cities that are going to continue. If we add the Louisville project, that's a third city. There are various other cities that are interested in working with me. I'm, all, I'm the headliner for the 50 billion African-American Legacy Wealth Initiative for New York Life. And so God is blessing me with the ability to spread the word that there is a promise out there, and that promise is for you. And so take possession of it and learn how to do so. So I want to continue to do what I'm doing. I want to pull capital together in communities that desire to rebuild their community with ownership and equity and the, so that we all can navigate further down the road to wealth. Oh, it's a powerful message that's deeply needed in this world. Um, thank you. And, and one last question uh, that I'm, I'm beginning to try to ask folks is who inspires you? Who, do, who in your life, uh, if you had to point one person, has inspired you? Dead or alive. You know, and honestly, it honestly doesn't matter. Yeah, you know, um, so my heart goes to three different directions. Um, it first goes to my family, of course. My first two investors in my company were my grandmothers, the late Bessie Pearlhorn and the late Mildred Lorraine Jolly. And so these are two women who... Mildred, uh, right before she died, she looked at me and she said, everything that you are is what I wanted to be. 
And so my grandmothers were two women who listened to me, read my business plan, made me explain it to them, and really sowed the first seed because they knew I was fertile ground. And so they inspired me to not just go out there and do whatever, but to write the vision and make it plain so that I, so that me and whomever else I could work with would run with it. And so those are the two. Of course, um, within the Bible, for me, my first, um, my first minor prophet is Habakkuk. Because when you look at the, the, the right division, make it plain, it's such a powerful little book. But it talks about someone who had undeniable faith in God to look around his community and to say where all the problems were, but still have faith in God, and then do as God directed. So that really, um, really guides me. And then lastly, I would have to say there's a gentleman, Kelly Miller. He was the first African-American who attended John Hopkins University PhD program. He couldn't finish because of financial reasons, but he went on to be a dean at Howard University. He was the editor of w, Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois and Booker T. Washington. Booker T. Washington and W.E.B. Du Bois represent two economic perspectives in the African-American community. He didn't agree with either one of them. It was a both and. And so he really was able to create a middle road, which was both vocation as well as instruction. His middle road, the derivative of it from my perspective, is my narrow road, where it's an integration of five different capitals or talents that everyone possesses. Money is only 20% of wealth in the narrow road. And that's just human capital times an hourly or an annual wage. But you've got four other talents. So if you get to know yourself, which is the business of you, and pursue the primary purpose of business, your business, which is to build wealth, you learn how to multiply your intellectual capital, your social capital, your cultural capital, and your spiritual capital. And so literally you become that first servant. And you're able to have a 100-fold return on all of your efforts just by taking full possession of the promise called you. And so when I think about how legacy, how history, and how biblical um, figures in the Bible all influence what inspires and motivates me, it just always gives me confidence because they confirm each other, they align with each other, and they really speak life in my keynotes, but also the work that I do in the communities that I serve. Wow, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Stuart, do you have anything further for Dr. Jolly? Uh, yes, and, and uh, I want to say thank you, Ananda, for, for uh, the, the questions that you bring here, and particularly your focus on the ministry there. Um, one thing that I, I take away uh, from your last answer, uh, Dr. Jolly, is that the, the elements of wealth go beyond just having some cash in the bank. Right, that's an asset oh, that you put up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and so yeah. much more than that, really. Um, and I would say that that in conversations that Ananda and I've had, uh, we would drill on that as as just as important, if not more important, than the actual cash itself, um, because as we know from uh, from our scripture, that uh, you can put money in the bank, but or you can you can put food away, but it can rot. It can it can rust, and it's not as important as those values that you create. So I am so 100% um, aligned with you on that. And I wanted to, though, now to take us into that place where um, when you talk about wealth and its value, 
what do you see the power of this wealth that goes beyond just money? Um, but where can it take um, a people and, uh, and a community? You know, for me, a wealthy life is a fulfilled life. The ability to be able to be a good steward over what you've been given. And I do believe that if you deepen your faith, um, part of my dissertation was about unblinding one's faith. What I found is that almost everyone that I interviewed, when faced with a financial or just life insecurity, many of us close our eyes and just believe that it's going to be okay. And that, in part, is our faith. However, that, from my perspective, limits God to a miracle. And God is capable of doing so much more. And so when we look at our world today, I mean, we are in America, and so there are patterned issues in America that we are all facing But those issues are not just privy to America. I've been blessed to travel all over this world. And so for me, those are opportunities for us to deepen our faith and walk in it and find ways to be able to become better stewards of who we are so that we can come away with the wealth that's necessary. In the Bible, it says that in the stores of darkness are treasures for our good. In seminary, I was led to study all of the dark places in the Bible. And that's where I sit. Because in the, under the shadow of the Almighty is power. But essentially, the not knowing who you are. You know, life, for us, our life is, is not infinite. We have a definitive amount of time, a window of opportunity for, our, for us to be able to live. What my prayer is, is that everyone in some way reaches out to the one who created them. And really ask, what is it that you would have for me? How do I pursue my purpose? Because I am confident that once that happens, the problems that we face in this world will be gone. Heaven will be on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And so that's my prayer. And I've found that seeing is believing. So if you can truly see yourself, Lord have mercy. Powerful things happen. The last thing I'll say and it's funny, my last keynote, um, the organization said, Pamela, we built this around you. And I didn't quite understand exactly what they were saying. But for the last five years, I see things in patterns. And so we're now in the year 2019. And so in 1619, that's when the first slaves came over to America, to Point Comfort, which is now Fort Monroe. And so from 1619 to 2019 is 400 years. And so I saw this, and I started to look, and it just struck something for me. So then when I found Genesis 15, 13 to 15, that said, for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But in the end, they will come away with great wealth. The promise is being reset from my perspective. There's an opportunity for all of us to take full possession of the promise called ourselves. And that promise called ourselves is what God promised our ancestors. And so with technology and rising things and a variety of other distractions, faith is not as foremost in the front of most people's minds as it was three, four generations ago. I have to believe that three, four generations ago, everybody's grandmother or great-grandmother and father had to pray to a God that they believed in for things to change. The answered prayers are us. And so for me, that is really where the hope is. 
and the praises because I see people realizing the fullness of themselves and pursuing things they never thought they would because they have a renewed sense of unblinded faith. So there's a certain generational influence here you talked about. I mean, we had people in the past praying for us, and here we are. Um, And what I love about that is it goes right back to what you said, which is don't limit God to a miracle. Um, I wrote that down, and uh, I want to maybe even use it as the title of, of, you know, our podcast today with you and this interview. Um, That feels such a, I feel such a powerful force coming from you that says God's given us ability and and vision and ability, not just uh, abilities, but um, a, a wish for us, a hope for us. And we are tapping into it and we're taking it forward. My next question for you is about, um, again, getting back again to the, the use of this wealth. Is this a way to get dignity and respect? Um, or is it a way to get power and influence? Uh, or is it some combination of those two? So you've used a lot of words, dignity, <laughs> respect, power, and influence. And words matter, and they are so weighted, so much so that um, I never use a word in a keynote that I don't define. Because after talking to 7,000 people, I did a multi-generational ethnographic word study. What that just means is I asked 7,000 people to define seven key words. And I got about 7,000 times seven different definitions. So what I found is we use the same words, but we don't mean the same things. It's kind of like, you know, one of the things that I loved, I was in Egypt, and I was at this beautiful tomb, and there were 3,000 people in this area. And there must have been about 30 different tour guides. And each of the tour guides was saying the same thing, but they were saying it in the native tongue of the groups that they were leading. And it was such a powerful experience. And we were right where the Tigris meets the Euphrates, I believe. Yeah, Tigris, Euphrates, was it? I think it was. But it was a special tomb where only one time a year the sun goes into this tomb and splits and goes around the Prince of Darkness and shines on the Prince of Light. And mathematicians cannot figure out how this actually happens, but it does. And I remember when I was in the tomb, my camera wouldn't work because I was trying to take all these pictures and my camera wouldn't work. But as soon as I came out, my camera allowed me to take a picture of all of us around listening to 30 different people saying the same thing in one voice. For me, that is God. He can say a word and all who know his voice will understand what he means. So getting back to your question about dignity and power, and respect, that is not my aim. For me, whatever God allows for you is for you. Wealth is defined by you and the stewardship of your talents. The outcome is a problem that you can see beyond because God has given you the eyes to see it. For me, I want to overcome financial oppression, not poverty. Poverty is a financial equation. Financial oppression is not understanding your choices. Everybody who God created has a choice, and I want them to choose to take possession of the promise. That promise is defined by you. 
It's land that you owned, whether it's the land inside of you, it's the land in your community, it's the land in your career, it's the land in your business, it's the land in your family, whatever that asset is, because that's all land is, is an asset. Whatever that asset is, I want you to take possession of it. Care for it, nurture it, prosper it so that it can pass on for generations. Power was one of the key words, ironically. And for me, power is not just a definition. It's actually an equation. Organized people plus organized money. United in one shared outcome. Oftentimes, power gets distorted. And we think that, oh, it's just the influential and it's this and it's that. We wrestle not, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powerful people and high, power in high places. I get that. But you have power. But when you don't use that power, you can be led to think that there are people more powerful than you. But the reality is that nobody is more powerful than God. So as long as you are in alignment with the purpose that God has for your life, there is no one who has power over you. They can have power alongside of you. They can be powerful enough to do something that upsets you enough so that you can clarify your vision of what you're supposed to do. But literally, we don't we resist the devil and he will flee. So for me in my research, the last thing I'll say, a lot of the words that you used often incite people and they trigger people. I don't seek to trigger people. In my research, I never found a generation that fought and won in the same lifetime. And so my daddy said, Pamela, I fought, your grandfather fought, your great-grandfather fought. So my mama said, be a winner. And so I want to encourage everyone, get your win first. Take possession of your promise. So that can fuel the fire of the fight that you must fight for the next generation's win. Okay, Dr. Jolly, I completely agree with you. And, um, I, and I'm really thankful for our ability to have this conversation today because I do myself and in my conversations with Ananda, we have talked about, um, that place where people are that they, with the people that we have interviewed, frankly, are the ones who stand up and say, I know there's something I need to do and I'm going to walk into it and do it. (laughs) And that's what you just said. And, and you're doing it in a way that extends that um, idea beyond just maybe stepping into something that's near you, but stepping into your own promise and taking it to a place that really takes um, and makes you part of the body of God in the world. So I really appreciate mm-hmm. what, you're, what you're saying. Um, is there anything else you want to share with us today before um, we close this interview? One, thank you for having me on here. Um, I wish you could, I pray that you have continued success in all that you do. What's pressing on my spirit is to say this last thing, um, <laughs> that God does not build in a period of war. He builds in a period of peace. And so there's a lot of strife and angst in our society right now. But I want everyone to find their peace beyond all understanding within them, because that's where God is building, not on the outside, on the inside. And so that when that seed planted in fertile ground reaps a harvest, people need to see what they need to see. 
And so I pray that as you continue with your podcast and as we all continue with our work, that we seek that peace within and build in there. So at the right time, when the harvest comes, all this angst will go away because it won't be for naught. It'll have been the fertile ground that we needed to be able to dig deep into the spirit that lies within for us to be able to do what we're called to do. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Jolly. I really appreciate those words. And uh, I do hope that all the people listening to this podcast can take on um, that spirit for themselves and find that quiet place, see who they are, and, and run with it, right? Um, yes. The world would be a better place. Amanda, yeah. anything else? No, just deep gratitude for uh, our conversations today um, and just filled with a lot of uh, hope and, and joy for the world. And Dr. Zelle, I wish you blessings upon blessings on everything that you're doing. And if there's any way um, that, that uh, I can connect you to the folks in Louisville that I might know, um, if, if that connection is even needed, please feel free to reach out at, at any time. I would love that. I definitely will. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you both.